Good day, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, to Grady, happy Friday for you, brother. If, <laughs> if it's Friday where you are, <laughs> it's uh, Wednesday for the rest of us. Welcome, everyone, to Live with Doug. Glad that you are here. Hey, Mike. Hey, Keith. Uh, Luke Warmanamore. I forgot your name. Sorry. I'm going to I just see your, uh, your titles up there. Uh, Keith Russ, glad to have you with us this morning as we, uh, or evening or afternoon or whatever time it is in your part of the world. Glad that you're with us as we continue to dive into the word of God. We're going to look at, uh, wifely submission, <laughs> uh, popular topic, huh? No, it's, a, it's important. I was just thinking a few minutes ago, how, how much we lose out on because of the the turmoils, the fighting, the 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 debates, we miss out on God's design here. And I don't know if we have any women on here with us, any wives with us this morning. But uh, this is important for us as husbands and wives to get this right. And our Lord, as we saw a couple of days ago, our Lord has created this picture of the church and her relationship to Christ, and it's a great relationship with so many blessings when we do it the way the Lord designed it. Well, the same thing is true of marriage. In fact, marriage is a picture of that, as we looked at uh, a few days ago. So anyway, we're going to dive in here, and we're going to talk about submission, and it's in, it's crucial that we let the Bible tell us what submission is. There are all kinds of human beings that have definitions and they have their perspectives, they have their agendas, they have their assumptions going in, which we all do. We bring all of our assumptions and experiences to the text every time we open the Bible. So one of the battles, maybe the first battle we have is to try to clear away the uh, the assumptions that we're bringing to the table, our preferences, and, and, and try the best we can, and we can't do this perfectly, but try the best we can to, to come at this cold and say, okay, I don't, I don't care what the implications are. I want to know what God's word actually says and reveals, and then I will strive to bring my, uh, my preferences in line with that. So uh, that's what I want to look at is, is see... Come with me and see if I can show you how the Bible defines submission. Uh, good morning, study, study German. I believe from yesterday your name was Vicky, right? And I forget, where, are you in, uh, in Germany or where, where are you? Uh, you may have told me and I apologize if I have forgotten. So we're going to look at uh, submission here in Ephesians. We'll look at it in First Peter and then uh, Prepped for Eternity Homestead, I believe is his name, um, uh, asked a question after yesterday's video that I want to come back to. It fits very well with our, uh, with our context here. Oh, you're in Spain, Vicky. Well, hola. Uh, you and Grady can, can chat along there and I'll throw out my, uh, my, uh, two-year-old Spanish as we go. All right. So we looked at this yesterday. Wives submit to your own husbands or be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Remember we, emphasized how important that little word as is. Uh, why should a wife submit to her husband? For, because, for this reason, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church. We spent a lot of time on this yesterday. 
It plays into our understanding of the word submission because there is a relationship between submission and headship. So do you remember from yesterday, the word head in a context like this, and especially as it's used in Ephesians, do you remember what the word head is implying or portraying? What does it mean to be the head as Paul has used it in Ephesians? Those of you who were with us yesterday, what, uh, what's the answer to that question? It's extremely important for this discussion, for our definition of submission to understand what head is. So obviously the head is the top of our body, right? But Paul uses that to re reveal something else, um, to, to, to illustrate something else. Uh, Peter says, how does 521 play into your thinking? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because that's exactly where we're going here because there are a lot of people using 521 to make this whole text say something it doesn't say. Uh, Vicky says, Christ is the head of the church. Right, what, what does that mean that he's the head of the church? So somebody, somebody define headship here in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 5. It's used the same way both places and it's just very important to to get that straight. When we call Christ the head of the church, when Paul calls Christ the head of the church, what is that communicating? What is that teaching? For those of you listening uh, via podcast later, before someone answers it, what do you know in your own mind what it means when the scripture calls Christ the head of the church? <laughs> Grady, this is not the time to K-Pasaviki. This is the time to answer my question. <laughs> what does it mean? It's the Greek word kephale. Come on, somebody answer me. Maybe you're all behind. I know there's a delay here. Well, it means authority. To be the head means to be in authority. Well, what does it mean to be in authority? It means you have the right to make decisions, to give direction, to give commands. And those who are under your authority are responsible to obey that authority. That's what headship and submission communicates. When the scripture says that Christ is the head of the church and the church is in submission to Christ, it's a uh, it's authority. I showed you that yesterday. Uh, Luke Luke Warm No More says uh, the brain's the outfit. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know if that's true. There's uh, plenty of uh, of people. This is not true of Christ, of course, but there are plenty of people in the role of headship who <laughs> probably have uh, uh, less smarts than those under their authority. <laughs> so at least with Christ, that's true. With the rest of us, that's not always true. It doesn't matter how smart you are. If you are in the position of headship, you are the authority, and those under your headship are obligated to obey you. If you don't understand that, you're, you're, you're going to be open to all kinds of misunderstanding in this context. And I showed you that yesterday, so if that's not clear, go back and watch yesterday's video. Headship implies, actually I'd say it's not implicit, it's explicit, it is authority. And those under authority must submit to their head. That's unambiguous 
in the scripture here. So when it says wives, be subject to your own husbands for Christ or the husband's the head of the wife, it means the husband is in the position of authority and the wife is to obey her husband. I will show you that. I'm not making that up. I'll show you that in the scripture here. Just hang with me. Now, to Peter's question. What a lot of people do is they come back here to Ephesians 5.21 that says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And they start there and say, this means husbands are to submit to their wives in the same way that wives submit to their husbands. Is that what that means? Let, let, let me just ask you this question. Is it possible for two parties to be in submission to one another? Now, again, you have to remember the, the definition of submission. It means to obey the one in authority. It's impossible. The words don't make any sense if you have two parties that are submitting to one another. It doesn't work like that. It, it, when we see one another's, we always think mutual kind of a peer relationship, but that's not true. Uh, for instance, in uh, Revelation 7, 6, is it? I think it's Revelation 6. Well, let me just pull it up. I can see I'm not going to get through this today. I always do this. That's all right. We got nothing but time, right? Um, I think it's chapter six here. Uh, no, that's not coming up. Well, anyway, Revelation talks about how uh, everybody was killing one another. What are the chances if I killed you, you would kill me? Right? This phrase, everyone's killing one another. It's the same idea of one anothering here. If, if we're in a battle and I kill you and you killed me, if, if someone described the battle scene, everyone kills one another, does that mean that I kill you and you kill me? What are the chances of that happening? <laughs> I mean, it's really, really, really remote, right? No, this, this idea of one another just uh, doesn't always mean it's completely reciprocal. But more importantly... Let's look at the context here. Uh, so this, I think I mentioned this early on, but this is one of those rare occasions where uh, knowing Greek would help clarify. This is not as clear in the English. It's very clear in the Greek, and I'll try to show it to you. So the controlling verb through this section is this phrase right here, be filled. And the way the Greek language works is you, you have your finite verb, your controlling verb, and then oftentimes there are phrases that modify that main clause. And I'm, I'm using some imprecise grammar here. So if I have any uh, grammar experts, just I'm trying to make a point and not get too technical, okay? But uh, so be filled with the Spirit. That's a command. It's a, it's a passive. Be filled with the Spirit, God's Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine. In other words, don't be controlled by liquor. Why? That's dissipation. But instead of that, be filled, be controlled by God's Spirit. With me so far? Then he gives five participial phrases to modify those who are filled with the Spirit. Okay, stay with me. 
Stay with me. Be filled with the Spirit, y'all. All of you in, in Ephesus, all y'all be filled with the Spirit. And then let me explain to you, let me describe for you people what it looks like when people are filled with the Spirit. You tracking? A, a participle is a verbal noun. It's, a, it's like the running man. Running there is a, it, it has the I-N-G, the, the, it's a gerund phrase, right? The running part is, is the verbal part, but it's describing the man as an adjective as opposed to the tall man, which doesn't have the verbal aspect. So we have these, these verbal adjectives describing the person who's filled with the Spirit. Here they are, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. The person who is filled with the Spirit this describes that person. He is speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. He is singing. He is making melodies. See all these ing verbs here in the uh, or words in the NAS. Speaking, singing, making melody with your heart, giving thanks, always giving thanks. So that's four of them. Again, and especially for those of you who are listening that can't see this on the screen, let me just. Again, the, the command is be filled with the Spirit. And now let me describe those who act like they're filled with the Spirit. They're speaking to one another in music. They're singing. They're making melody in their heart. They're giving thanks. If you are walking in the Spirit, these are true of you. You're singing. You're giving thanks. You're singing to others. You're speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual song. Uh, you're making melody with your heart to the Lord. And... If the NAS would be consistent here, it would say, and submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. But unfortunately, they don't remain consistent with the ing verb, and it makes you think it's something else. But it's a, it's a participle, just like the others, modifying the person who's filled with the Spirit. Submitting to one another. And then he gives examples of this. And notice here in the NAS, the be subject is not in the original. Submitting to one another wives to your own husbands. A wife who's walking in the spirit is going to submit to her own husband. And then he goes off and explains what that means and why. Because the husband's ahead of the wife. And he gives this whole business. And we talked about this. Husbands love your wives. This whole picture of Christ in the church so it gives us a little mini uh, exposition of marriage here and why the wife should submit. And then he comes back to his point of what it looks like to walk in the spirit and what it means to submit to one another. Here he doesn't use the ing verb, but now he comes back to that concept. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And then he ex expresses something for fathers and then slaves be obedient to those who are your masters. So if all that confused you, let me just state it this way. One of the descriptors that Paul uses of a person filled with the Spirit is submitting to authority. And then he gives three examples of, of those relationships. Wives to your husbands. Children to your parents. Slaves to your masters. You can see that why that is, right? It is, it is very difficult to submit to authority for us as humans. We don't like that. None of us like it. But if the Spirit is filling you, then your first concern is to please Jesus. And Jesus says, 
Slaves, obey your masters. Children, obey your parents. Wives, obey your husbands. When a wife refuses to submit to her husband, she's not walking in the spirit. And it's sin. And frankly, for those of us who are husbands, for us not to act as the head of our wife, to not exercise authority over our wives, to to rule over our wives, for us not to do that is sin. We are in the position of Christ in this relationship, and we are to act that way. Now, people start pushing and say, it doesn't say wives obey your husbands. All right, let me take you to another text, 1 Peter. He says, in the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands. Same wording. So it's not just Paul. Peter says it too. Now notice this phrase, in the same way. Or sometimes it's translated likewise. In the same way as what? Well, again, it's all in the context of submission. Look what he says back here in chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every institution, whether to a king as one in authority or governors and so on. This is a command to all Christians. Submit to the government. I don't love that verse. (laughs) I don't particularly want to submit to my government, especially here in the United States. There's a lot of wickedness. But there was in Paul's day too, or Peter's day too, right? So here's the command. You, Christian, wherever you are, in Spain, Vicky. Submit to the government. Those of us in the U.S., those of you in in other parts of Europe, submit to the government. It's a command. Verse 18, servants, submit to your masters. Likewise, wives, submit to your own husbands. And then he explains this further, and we don't have time now to get into this, but look at his what he says here, for in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Do you see that Peter is using the word obey in parallel to being submissive to your husband. Friends, there's just no getting around it. Submission to authority is synonymous with obeying authority. That's what the word means. It has a a different nuance. You're placing yourself under the authority. Well, how does that, that's what the word submission means, to, to place yourself under the authority of. Well, how do you do that? What does that look like in everyday life? What's the practical expression of putting yourself under the authority of someone? It's obeying them. So God's design for marriage is that wives obey their husbands. There's no way of getting around this without doing damage to the text. Uh, Let me catch up on a couple of your uh, comments here. Uh, Grady says, authority, yes, but doesn't headship also carry sense of responsibility? Yeah, we have to define our terms. Responsibility means you're accountable, right? And so maybe that's what I was just addressing. Uh, 
So I have authority over my wife, and that carries with it, yes, a responsibility. I'm accountable to Jesus for how I exercise that authority. And that's why I said yesterday, Paul goes on and says, husbands, love your wives. Uh, Don't abuse this authority. Peter, in this context, I stop short, but what he says there is, husbands, live with your wives according to knowledge. Know her. She's the weaker vessel. Treat her as a co-heir of grace. Don't exert your authority as though you're superior. You just have a, a, a role before the Lord to exercise authority. Vicki says, of course, we are to imitate Christ in his relationship to the church. That's a huge responsibility. Yes. Grady, I guess what I mean, doesn't headship and authority come with responsibility to lead? Yep. Yeah. And I, I mentioned that, right? We Husbands, and in my experience in the church, this is at least as frequent, if not more frequent, that sin, that that husbands do not exercise authority. They sin in that way as much as women sin in rebelling. Uh, Peter says, uh, again, going back to 1 Corinthians. Yeah, we'll talk about 1 Corinthians 7 tomorrow. Um, who of the one another does a husband wife a husband hu- submit to? Great question. Paul is not telling husbands in Ephesians 5 to submit. He's setting up these three relationships he's going to talk about. So submit to one another, wives to husbands, children to parents, slaves to masters. Those are the one another's. It's a one-way submission in Ephesians 5. That's crucial uh, to understand. Vicki says, what about obligation of taking the vaccine when the government makes you? Yeah, great question, which leads to a question that uh, someone else asked as well. Uh, Prep for Eternity Homestead said, uh, how can a working wife be subject to her own husband and have a male secular boss? So there are different spheres of authority in the Bible. I just read you several of them. We are all to submit to the government. Slaves are to submit to their masters. Wives to their husbands. And in this context, we haven't even talked about the uh, authority of elders. So what happens when you have conflict in what you're commanded to do from one authority to the next? In other words, what happens when a government authority tells you one thing and your husband tells you something else as a wife? That's a thorny one. That's a hard one. We know based on the apostles, for instance, in Acts, we know that we are never permitted to obey man over God. So where there is a clear command from God, then we must obey God rather than men. So something such as if your husband, if you're a wife and your husband, uh, tells you he doesn't want any more children, you get pregnant and he commands you to get an abortion or the government commands you to get an abortion, of course you obey God, not man, and you do not get an abortion. That That's easy, right? But that's a great question, Vicki, about uh, the vaccine. Uh, what if your husband says no, don't get it, and the government says yes, you must get it? Uh those are hard questions, and I don't, I don't know 
that I can give you a, a quick, easy answer. Um, I don't know, the vaccine is a little, uh, I guess, easier for me. I Only because I doubted the vaccines from the very beginning. I told my whole family, we're not getting them. And uh, they were fully in agreement with that. But you can think of other situations. Uh, and, and so for prepped for eternity, Homestead's question about uh, secular boss, I, I need you to flesh that out a little bit more. I don't see the conflict. Um, so my wife works for an organization right now, and her boss is a man. I'm not, so she is uh, under my authority. She is working there, and I want her to submit to her male boss. I think that's the right thing to do. Now, if he were to give her a command that contradicts mine, that's where this question comes, right? That's where the rub is. Uh, in the capacity of her job, he has authority there and she should quit before she defies his authority, right? That's You don't go agree to work for somebody and then say, I'm not going to do what my supervisor tells me to do. You should just quit. That's the that's the mature thing to do, it seems to me. So all this to say, uh, these are complex issues. And I think it requires wisdom and care. Um, I'm glad you're asking that question because it indicates to me at least you're seeing the obligation for you as a wife to obey your husband, but what happens when it conflicts with another authority over you? What do we do with that? And all of us have that. Men have that as well. As a man, if you have a job, you have a supervisor, you're under his authority, and, you know, what if your elders are telling you not to get vaccinated and the, uh, the supervisor at work is saying, get vaccinated? What do you do with that? Those are tough. And that's where we need to seek the Lord and be gracious and be gracious with those who have a different opinion because some of those things are not laid out as clearly as we'd like. And, uh, and have a humble attitude about it saying, Lord, my first obligation is to submit to you. Help me do this. Help me uh, work through this. Um, those are tough. Those are tough questions and, and they're real. And uh, sometimes they can weigh on us heavily. Anyway, back to the bigger point. What is clear from the scripture is a wife is to obey her husband. And the husband is to be the one making decisions and do it in a loving, gracious way like Christ does. But Christ does not hesitate to rule over the church. And we obey him. And that's the picture of Christ and the, and the husband and wife as well. All right, tomorrow we will uh, come back and answer Peter's question about 1 Corinthians 7. And if you have other questions, tomorrow probably will be our last, uh, our last uh, live stream on this series. So if you have other questions, put them in the comments below and uh, I will take a look. Have a great day. God bless. We'll see you tomorrow.